0: Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ, and with me today I have the professor. Hello. And Sean Paulette, uh, founder and creator of Comics to Movies and the creator of XCT, also known as Extreme Championship Tournament.
1: G'day, guys. How you going?
0: Yeah, hey, going good. Yeah. yeah. Corona, Corona craziness is dying down finally.
2: Yeah, so you've chosen to uh, create some more craziness in your life. So what are you doing at the moment, Sean?
1: Uh,
0: I am doing
1: uh, two Kickstarters at the moment, which is just ridiculous on top of my normal normal, normal work. But um, yeah, last, uh, last month we've um, had a really successful um, campaign for our sci-fi series Terra Olympus. And uh, on Wednesday, I've just launched uh, a second Kickstarter for our um, XCT or Extreme Champion Tournament um, series. So that's uh, that's the, the the big thing that's keep keeping me going while uh, we've been locked indoors for all this time. So,
0: so uh curious question, Sean: Have you survived the toilet paper wars?
1: Uh, we were kind of lucky because we've just moved into a, a, our new home about two weeks prior to um uh, to all this madness uh, uh, going down. And one of the things we'd done is we'd gone to Costco and gotten some like the the, the massive toilet paper roll, the ma- massive paper towel roll, the um, uh, tin foil and the glad wrap like like you do uh, on your first shop. So we were kind of lucky that we kind of missed out on all of that. And we actually were joking around that it was only last week that we had to go out and buy another packet of um, of, of toilet paper. That uh, one massive packet had lasted us that, that whole time. So, um, so- no fighting, no no knife pulling on me, no nothing in regards to the toilet paper saga. So,
2: the important question is though: so, you bought the, the foil. Have you run out of foil hats yet?
1: No, nah, I don't even think we've used the foil to be honest. Uh, you know. But that, that's that's surprising. I haven't haven't done the fall hats with my little girl, so uh, yeah, that's that, that's maybe tomorrow.
2: How are you protected from the 5G?
1: The 5G? <laughs> oh yes, I know. I don't know. I've uh, got got a, got my great Star Wars hat on. I think that's protecting me enough. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh uh, so many conspiracy theory nuts are gonna go like, oh the 5G caused the coronavirus.
2: <laughs> we all know it was really the penguins. Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> the
1: the one thing I, I will say, um uh, you know, I, I won't say what I do for a for a living, but um I can say that it's uh within 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 government. And there was legislation that got put through during the COVID crisis that um, Telstra could put up towers and do work with no permit or plans. Um, So, you know, as much as conspiracy theorists are... you know going oh five G and oh this is all crazy and everything. There are a few laws that were were kind of passed that didn't really kind of um you know get out into the general public where where you would say hey you know how can you come onto my land just because you say that something needs to be fixed or it need to needs to be done like you know. I know, I, th- I thought that was a, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, but I was like, that, nah, that's pretty dodgy to me. I would like you to show me some paperwork to say that you're allowed to be here.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really interesting That's what millions of dollars in lobbying will get you
1: uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh,
0: So yeah, Um. so first topic uh, Professor, you got a story about Nintendo um, doing a copyright complaint
2: Yeah, and while they're probably within every right to do so It's a bit disappointing So there's been a project for a few years now to recreate Mario 64's source code, decompiling the original ROM. And there's arguments about whether you should be able to copyright source code or not. But uh, Mario Mario 64, I nearly said Mario 76. That's a completely (laughs) different kind of game. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> wow, this is Nintendo 76? <laughs>
2: no, this that's is the, the retro That's, that's the, the retro, retro version. <laughs> <laughs> this is the crossover with Fallout. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Oh. Um, so Mario 64 now has a complete source code available, which, if you recompile, recompile it correctly, comes out absolutely... Like one-to-one copy of the original file, and the so that happened about a year ago, and another fan got to got in, took the source code, and patched it to run on DirectX. Uh, so we now have a DirectX 12 port of Mario 64. Running in 4K, ultra-wide screen with controllers and keyboards. Oh, uh, and yeah. So if you were lucky enough to grab a copy before it got taken down, the um, you now have a, a copy of the most graphically advanced copy of Mario 64 ever. And if you didn't, good luck. So oh, like we'll
0: eventually find it. I mean, there there will be like torrents and whatnot. Although, yeah, probably are. Although I will say this, we do not endorse any illegal downloading. <laughs> yeah.
2: Now the workaround is that if you have a copy of the original game on 64, then you can, uh, thanks to the laws about that, you can copy a ROM of that. So it's legal to have a digital copy or a ROM copy. Of a um, a classic game, as long as you have the you own the original copy of the game, because there's a an exception in the copyright laws, you can make copies for personal use and backup purposes.
1: That came in uh, that came into um, fruition when um, VHS. In. that's that's how vhs players were allowed and how you were allowed to tape stuff for that exact reason if you are either already had it or um or were copying uh that of course that's not what it was used for but that was the that was the 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 way they got around uh um you know creating vhs's and stuff like that
2: yeah so um legally the most legal way to do this is to download the source code um, which was available for this port and own a copy of Mario 64 on... I think technically you'd have to have the 64 copy. If you owned the, the 3DS port, I don't think that would fly. But you extract the artwork from the um, 64 ROM and mix it up with the source code from the DirectX version and then compile it yourself. So that's a um, a bit of a painful workaround, but yeah. it's and the most that- legal way to do this that there is.
0: And a uh-huh. bucket load- and you have to have a bucket load of time as well. Like, Yeah, I, um,
2: compiling a big code base can take quite a while. Luckily, this one's fairly small.
0: And oh, no, I hate it how lawyers had to come in and go, like, hop, 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 you can't do this. Hop, 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 hop. Yeah, it's
2: unfortunate. But um, since they, uh, you know, they're well within their rights to make a copyright claim against this, and uh, that's unfortunately made it harder to find a copy of it, even though it's like one of the coolest nostalgia projects in years. At least um, a while back, we did talk about the guy who was. Recreating Sonic 06 on PC, and he hasn't got a cease and desist yet. Oh, very nice. Yeah, as far as I'm aware of, anyway. How did he get th- How did he get by it, though? Uh, well, he's still working on it. But with most Nintendo projects, as soon as they catch wind of it, they will come down and you like a ton of bricks.
0: Yeah, I do remember the um the emulators and how they were really cheesed off with that.
2: Yeah, emulators. Uh, there are Pokemon fan games that they've. You uh, shut down.
0: Yeah, yeah, but it's not. But this is this is Nintendo, and they're really efficient.
2: Yeah, they're really efficient at taking down copyrighted content. So I haven't played a whole lot of it yet. Um, I had a bit of trouble mapping my controller correctly because I have an analog keyboard, and it uh, didn't like that because that defaulted my Xbox controller to controller two, and that was a bit of a bit of a fiddle to get working but once i did that it seemed to work well
0: yeah i'm just looking at the uh, law firm though that, um that's been that's been working with nintendo um and they're saying here one of the complaints is the copyright work is nintendo super mario n64 uh, video game including the audio visual work software and fictional character depictions covered by u.s copyright regulation number patent number um, Redacted, the notice reads, this report file contains an unauthorized derivative work based on Nintendo's copyrighted work.
2: Yeah, actually, it makes me wonder whether a fan-made recreation that wasn't source-exact would, uh, would do better. Because this is using what is equivalent to the exact um, source code and assets that Nintendo made so many years ago. But a fan work might count as a derivative work, and some derivative works—well, um, transformative work really. Transformative works are allowed, but I'm not a an IP lawyer, so.
0: So this is technically not fair use, isn't it? No. No, no I don't think it. Um, Copying
1: source code is definitely not fair use. No, yeah, yeah, even though they went to
2: the effort of uh, basically coming up with source code that is identical to the original. So they haven't stolen anything. They have just reverse engineered what they have to create the um, original form. Yeah. They, um, I think that still is a bit of an issue with um, fair use. Yeah. But, um, there was also another leak that, was, um, that happened earlier this week. <laughs> uh, if you, yeah if you haven't heard of it yet and you haven't changed your password yet get on and do that especially if you uh have ever logged into your nintendo account on a wii u because people are getting their accounts hacked uh oh. my friend had his uh his switch account hacked and two hundred dollars worth of fortnite stuff was bought
1: oh wow <laughs> yeah he was like, so, nice. <laughs> so. Is this like the, the Sony uh hack that, that, that happened a few years ago? Yeah, similar. Yeah, wow, and
2: oh. um a bunch of other stuff got leaked as well including original source code for Nintendo 64, GameCube, and Wii games. So I'm also wondering if um, any of the software from N64 could be used to confirm that the Super Mario 64 code is accurate.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at the damage here. So they've got the N64 GameCube Wii U source code, diagrams and data sheets for every system component, uh, documents describing future planning and implementation, full Wii operating System SDK planning docs for implementation of the Wii from 2004 to 2006, Space World 99 demos, and that's about it.
2: Yeah, well, it comes to uh two terabytes total. Wow, right <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much of that is uh a source code and how much is other content, yeah. But um, it's I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago with the source code for um uh, for half-life well not half-life but csgo and um team fortress the source code is out there but be careful if you go and track it down because uh if you look at the source code then you are technically tainted and it means that there are projects that you can't legally work on because you are aware of you know insider knowledge
1: oh
0: Oh, i hate to be the developer that go like oh no our project's been cam- compromised. Abort! Abort! <laughs> oh man! I mean, from your perspective, um, Sean, could you actually? Do, do you ever fear that? you ever have that fear as well? Like, uh, uh, def-
1: definitely with with copyright. Um, you know, uh, I think that's the uh, the biggest thing that uh, writers or any creative person has that you. Create something. You put all your heart and soul into it. You uh, put, you know, financial um, money into it, and and your time and effort. And then someone else comes along and pretty much takes what you've done. Maybe puts one or two different things on it and is able to get it out there much quicker or much faster than you and a and it takes off. So I think there's always a little bit of a, um, a fear there, but, uh, for me, I'm always like, well, you know, even with, uh, you know, uh, if someone downloads my comic, uh, illegally or whatever, it's like, well, if you're reading it, uh, and you like it, then the, the chances of you maybe purchasing it later down the track is higher than if, if you didn't know about it at all. So, yeah, I don't, I don't put too much, uh, stock into it uh, and try not to think about it too much, but at the same time I have Protected certain interests legally um, for myself in regards to to um, XCT, Terra Olympus, and any other future um, things that I create. So,
0: so what do you guys reckon with the reputation of Nintendo now? Do you reckon they've bec- they're becoming more authoritarian? If you think about it, like i have always
2: been this way. To um, this sort of stuff, I think in the uh, in the end you know these edge cases of people trying to sneak around copyright restrictions uh, are edge cases most people won't come afoul of copyright uh, restrictions um, unless you're using something that's really flawed like uh, like
1: youtube
2: but um, i think if you if you're involved in this sort of stuff you kind of got to expect that at any point you could be shut
1: down. That's-, well, that's that's the dangerous thing, isn't it? Like you know, you um, you you flirt with that idea and um, you put invest time and money into something and then get shut down. Then that kind of you know, put puts you in a in a pretty difficult situation. And if you're trying to get work elsewhere, as you said about the the other source code leak. Yeah, you know, it could uh, jeopardise any future employment that you ha- that you have. So um,
0: yeah, oh, it really sucks. Anyways, um, so moving along, um, we've got a story about gardening, and apparently gardening at home is as good as exercise.
2: Not for keeping you skinny though, especially if you're growing your food.
0: <laughs> so in other words, I can't I, I can't go and mow the lawn and not get and lose weight and not well, lose weight.
2: Depending on how big your lawn is, you'd be like, that's pretty good exercise because you're pushing a mower around. But um, if you're growing a, a veggie patch, that's calories straight back into you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, gardening is one of is one of my pet hates. As, as I said, I've uh, just moved into a into a new home, so we've been uh, planting and doing our garden and doing our backyard and all all that type of type of stuff. So, uh, gardening is not one of my enjoyable uh, things. But I can say, in uh, mulching, using uh, digging holes and all that type of stuff, you c- can definitely lose weight pretty quick. <laughs>
2: So, anyway, the uh, study has found that gardening is good for your mental health.
1: That's if you like it, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Although, uh, okay, here's the thing. Which is, be- which is better, though, gardening or cooking? Uh, did they mention cooking in the article? Uh... I mean,
2: it kind of sounds like, like, so gardening um, has a similar level of happiness as biking, walking, or dining out. And dining out is sort of the opposite of cooking. So I feel like uh, cooking might be a bit of a, unless you enjoy cooking, it's probably a bit of a stressful activity because you, um you know, you got to do it. It's just a bit of a chore really if you're not into it.
1: Yeah, I was going to say my wife is an, an, uh, is an awesome cook, but I'm not a huge fan of cooking myself, but I am a fan of eating. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love eating food? (laughs) Come on. My wife made scones today. God, mate, they were absolutely amazing.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm reading um, bits of the article. They're saying here that gardening could provide the health benefits of fresh fruits and vegetables, promote physical activity, and support emotional well-being, which can reinforce this healthy behavior. And what's
2: interesting is the, um, it's the only activity out of the 15 studied for which women and people with low incomes support higher emotional well-being than men and medium and high-income participants. So if you're a low-income earner, uh, gardening helps you save money buying food, hopefully, and is um therapeutic.
0: There's a, there, there have been cases where um, what, and some people would say like, oh, you know, if you talk to plants, uh, pl- um, it's therapeutic as well.
2: It also helps the plants grow. Yeah, Mythbusters did it, and uh, I think it was heavy metal <laughs> was the the most efficient, most effective.
0: Metallica on plants. Yeah.
2: Yeah, they did a study where they, well, in typical Mythbusters fashion, it's not exactly robust, but they set up these little greenhouses with speakers and each one played a different um, different genre. So they had someone uh, encouraging the plants to grow. They had like heavy metal, classical, all of that. And uh, the heavy metal was the... Plan screw the fastest
1: because I was like, get the
0: hell out of here! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, can you imagine like playing like hip hop music
1: to your plants? Uh, yeah, I imagine bubble. dancing around while while you you know pruning your hedges to <laughs> you know fifty cent. <laughs> We've yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really
2: the most our lives Living in a gardener's paradise
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nice, nice
0: <laughs> Or even better I'll take you to the greenhouse now <laughs> 50 Cent making the greenhouse version Of the candy shop that <laughs> <Don't> not be wrong
2: <laughs> Bit of the R. Kelly trapped in the greenhouse <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, I wonder how the Mumble Rappers would, uh, I wonder how the plants would react to the Mumble Rappers now, though. They wouldn't even, they would be like, who is this guy again?
2: (laughs) Well, he wouldn't want that because when the Mumble Rappers die, the plants will get depressed. (laughs) And you do not want emo veggies. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh that's terrible it'd be ter- it'd be terrible taste Ugh. so yeah, i'm looking at some of the um st- more of the stuff as well they're saying that people know where community gardens uh, community gardeners garden but it's hard to know who is gardening at home uh, which are group uniquely identified uh, for example the study author found that 31 participants engage in home gardening for about 90 minutes per week on average Compared to 19% who engaged in biking on an average of 30 minutes each week, and 85% who walk on an average of an hour and 40 an hour and 40 minutes each week.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely not guarding for 90 minutes a week. <laughs> you, you, you've to- to- totally lost me on these ones. I'm just like uh, I have planted stuff that will be as low maintenance as possible. Now I prefer to jump in the car and go for a drive, or or go out to dinner, or or as you, as you're saying before, Professor. Like, um, yeah, just sitting in the garden is not my my uh,
0: cup of tea. Yeah, uh, even though they say like it's for your emotional welfare. Yes, yeah, still no. Nah. So not not gonna not gonna do it. <laughs> No. I mean, I mean, here's the thing though, like people have been now like pushing to pushing people to like grow their own veggies, like teach the kids how to plant vegetables and stuff.
1: Yeah, I I guess that's 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 a great idea. Like um, my wife's uh, organising doing a um vegetable garden and everything, and they've got the the kids um stuff to to let them plant in a certain area so they can kind of get used to it. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think for me, um, it's not not uh, something that I feel. Does anything for me? Getting outside and and the exercise part is is great, but um, yeah, just not 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 the gardening. Yeah, How am I mowing? Come on, and that's, that's, that's kind of relaxing. Yeah. put the earphones in and just, you know, push a mower around. But.
2: During World War II, the British government was really into what they called war gardens. And the idea was um, you'd get everyone in a town gardening in their backyards when they weren't working because that way you could uh, decouple the food chain from transporting goods from the farms, which were understaffed since so many men were away at the war. Um, yeah, victory garden, that's the word, sorry. Okay. So, yeah, the idea was you'd grow in your backyard, and uh, that's an interesting effect that that could have helped people's mental state
1: uh, during the war. Wow, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah. And to also um, add in, um, when it cu- it also, like, uh, as, as we were talking earlier on, like, it saves the whole hassle of, like, going to drive into the store and buying all the veggies and, and whatnot. I mean, like, there are advantages yeah. to, like, growing your own veggie batch, but the downside is basically, like, do you really want to do the hard work kind of thing? Yeah, it's
2: um it's hard work, but if it, like, so it's now shown to be a uh, mental aid. Yeah. It can help you save money if you do it right. Yeah um it's satisfying to grow stuff in your backyard if you're into that uh i think um the big issue with growing food in your garden is people who rent
0: yeah like, i live in an
2: apartment at the moment and um i'm on the the first floor so i've got a bit of a courtyard well, So the ground floor first floor whatever i've got a, a courtyard but it's all paved and i'm trying to design a um like garden frame so that i can grow veggies out in the garden but then when i need to move it's easy to deconstruct and take with me
1: ah uh, that's a great idea that's nice. a really good idea there's nothing um there's nothing already out there like that there probably
0: is
2: but i'm a bit of a dork and i like to build things myself
1: <laughs> yeah i was gonna say you could see that on shark tank mate <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think there is one I've, I've seen I've seen a couple of gardens um doing that one but yeah and uh, what was it the last bit they were saying on this about this is the high level of meaningfulness that respondents reported while gardening might be associated with producing one's own food uh, the author continues by saying that the boost to emotional well-being is comparable to other leisure activities that currently gets the lion's share of infrastructure investment these findings suggest that when choosing future well-being projects to fund, we should pay just as much attention to household gardening.
2: Oh, that, um, yeah, infrastructure. That reminds me of uh, places I've seen where um, the parks, there's a few parks in Brisbane that have uh, community gardens in them. <coughs> and the idea is you have a plot there and you share the work with your community. I don't know the full details. I've never been a member of one, but uh, or even really looked into it. But that would be a great kind of infrastructure to build up, I think.
1: Yeah, America um, has got a lot of a lot of those, especially in the projects uh, type areas. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a pretty good idea. Even um, some local councils are doing the same thing with the communal garden. They have certain people that do rosters and and share the workload, right, as you
2: said. Uh, DJ, that link there is that a robot garden? Yep. I will be back. I need to go place some electronics orders. <laughs> <laughs>
0: A few moments later. <laughs> right. Look, it's not going to
2: be very good for my time or my budget, but that'll be fun project once the- I some of my others.
0: <laughs> oh. Anyways, uh, we, for the interest of time, we should uh, move on. Um, I've got a story about Comic Con 2020 now becoming an online event. So, uh, as we all know, that the uh, Comic Con uh, set. San Diego Comic-Con 2020 has been um, cancelled because of the coronavirus, Uh, but that doesn't mean we'll have to wait until 2021 to taste the experience. But recently, they've announced that it'll be holding a virtual convention called Comic-Con at Home. And during the video announcement, it took the opportunity to poke some fun at itself by saying, coming soon, free parking, comfy chairs, personalized snacks, no lines, pets welcome, badges for all and a front row seat to comic con at
2: home okay that's implying i actually have a comfy chair <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't think we've we any sofas around i I think we might get a sofa or two. And this is the...
1: uh, I do think it was a clever uh, way of marketing in regards to um, uh, those things, because if anyone has ever been to San Diego Comic-Con, it's so many lines, like, yeah, type of thing. It's an absolute pain to get your badge. And uh, there's never any decent food either.
0: uh (laughs) Oh. That's right. You were a veteran at this. You were a veteran at Comic-Con Oh, you must have like tons of fun over there, though. Yeah, so I've done the last
1: two. I was supposed to go this year, but um, as as you said, it's been cancelled. So they have let us know that they will move our tickets from this year to next year.
0: Hmm. So what do you what do you think about this whole on digital version? Um,
1: oh, I've got conflicting conflicting ideas um about it because. You're um, essentially uh, depends if, if it's a paid service or not. If you're not paying for anything, uh, then I think it's a, a great a great idea in regards to being able to, you know, um, see panels or, or, or that that type of stuff um, that you would go and see it at, at a convention. But um if if they're going to try and start charging which i have seen some uh conventions do in in the US i think that's a, a little bit rich uh, cuz i'm like well hang on a sec you're not actually really providing anything other than you know a video stream um And, you know, you've cancelled the convention in the first place. You know, I would think that maybe you would do this more from a a branding point of view and, and trying to, you know, want people to come back to your conventions rather than trying to make a little bit of money out of it. But I don't know. What do you guys think?
0: I it's see the charging part. I I'm two I'm a two minds about it because the Comic Con organization has to survive, you know. So they need money to fund itself for next year. So that's one aspect of it. But the other aspect of it is I agree with you. I agree with you, i um, Sean. In terms of you have to bring the fans back, and doing it for free will win the fans, kind of thing. Like yeah, been-
1: Armageddon's been doing um virtual talks with some of their guests. Uh, which Armageddon is, um, is a New Zealand uh, convention. If if people listening don't know, uh, and they've been doing that for the last six weeks, and um, they've had you know three or four guests from a single show on come and do an hour hour show or presentation. They've been doing that for free, which I think is an amazing uh, amazing thing. And you know um, they're talking about when it lifts. Um, doing a little bit of a combination of digital guests and um, uh, guests in, in, in the flesh saying that, you know, if we can get a really big guest and do it virtually, so you don't get to meet them in person, but you actually get to ask questions to them directly via video link or whatever like that. But at the same time, maybe have one or two people from the exact same show that are there in person, well, then that is a great opportunity to kind of maybe get some guests that we couldn't afford beforehand. So it's really interesting to see, you know, with this COVID-19, how um, these conventions are adapting and kind of changing and thinking what they can do new, which I think is a great thing because I think it has over the last couple of years gotten a little bit stale.
0: Yeah. but then what was it last year last year Marvel stole the show uh with with their with their announcements yeah it's no funny. Mar-
1: marvel wasn't there last year wasn't like la- oh
0: wait when did they do the fa- um phase four when did they do the announcements or the new ones was it last year or the year before uh-huh. no that
1: was at um uh, disney that was a what was it the- what's the disney expo uh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah oh yeah, yeah i think oh wait no it's new york comic con Right. Or was it New York Comic Con? Yeah. 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 Then they announced the whole, um, phase four. okay. Oh, go. Fine. But, um, my biggest, my fear when it comes to these ones is the logistics of the whole, of the whole thing. Like getting all the, on, getting all the online stuff and hope, hopefully the internet doesn't crack. Like, can you imagine the middle of the, imagine streaming the middle of the, um, conference and you'd be like, oh no, it's. It's gone, it's gone, it's just stopped abruptly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there are other, like, um, we were talking about this the other day, Professor, with the uh, virtual meetings with the science conferences. There is one biggest fear I fear that we might see in Comic-Con as well, and that's hackers.
2: Yeah, I think that's less of an issue now, because the big issue with Zoom bombing was that Zoom had abysmal security, and they are fixing that. I've got to give them credit. They are fixing it. As much as I hate Zoom, they are fixing it. So I'll give them <laughs> credit.
0: Um, yeah. I think here's a funny one for you. Can you imagine in the middle of Hall H they're doing a Zoom meeting and all of a sudden some random guy <laughs> comes in and just goes, <laughs> <and just, laughs> everybody? <laughs> and they're like, who the hell are you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it could absolutely happen, but I think um, I think it's less of a concern now. I did mention, though, uh, a week or two ago, uh, we were talking about uh, GDC, the, the Game Developers Convention Conference, and uh, I think um, I'm hoping this will lead to higher quality recordings of events like this. <laughs> Because it's very expensive to be able to go to all of these events, Like right? But uh, and a lot of them get posted on YouTube. But there's always some shitty quality. The audio doesn't work. The um, the camera is wonky. Whatever. So Crazy. I hope this is uh, the push they need to get proper recording set up.
0: Yeah, 360p quality footage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was it. Um, yeah, it was last year, Sean, at San Diego with Phase Four. Was it San Diego? Was it? Yeah. Okay. I miss
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> I must have been busy doing
0: other things. <laughs> oh, I think you must have, uh, you must have been, you must have had a lot of fun though. Like, Here's the other. Here's the other crazy thing. Like when it comes to having online conventions, you kind of miss the whole atmosphere of like, oh yeah, the fans are cheering at you and stuff. It's only like emoticons of claps.
1: Yeah, it's but- it's like it's like watching the the footy without a crowd. Yeah, how <laughs> much kind of weird?
2: How much do nerds enjoy being at a comic con anyway? Because we're all antisocial introverts. <laughs>
1: It's the only time that we, uh, you know, are super excited and and you know, let our inhibitions go and kind of uh, are like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then we walk back outside. I was like, yep. Yeah. yeah, I'm a bit disappointed
2: that we uh, we won't get an Adam Savage uh, incognito costume this year if all of these things get canceled. So um, Adam Savage every year does a an incognito costume. So something that, especially with a full face mask, so you can't tell who he is. Um, A few years ago, he actually went to one of them as um, Astronauts from 2001 with Chris Hadfield.
1: (laughs) Mark Hamill did it the year I went as well, and uh, he was dressed up as a stormtrooper. Cool. So had the head mask on and everything like that, and um, the Vikings cast were dressed up in V for Vendetta masks. (laughs)
2: the thing is though was Mark a bit small
1: Uh, to be a stormtrooper he was actually so because I I, I walked past uh, past him and I made the the wisecrack not knowing that it was him in the actual in the actual uh, thing and it wasn't until I saw it on the um on the TV that I was like, Oh my god, I should go on the phone! <laughs> 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 that was Mark Hamill. are you joking? Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. <So great.
2: laughs> so, your yeah, only interaction with Mark Hamill is calling him short.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. How good is that? You must have just went, ah. That's like such a
1: cringeworthy line to use as well. Like you haven't heard it a hundred thousand times before. (laughs) I was like, oh, really? Yeah, I'm going to be that guy, you
2: know? (laughs) He could have asked him how his aim was.
0: Oh, Oh,
1: true. Nice.
0: Oh, oh! You gotta just go watch the watch the door, <laughs> watch watch that door. Ah, <laughs> oh, but I'm um, sure I was gonna ask you. So, what about for comic books? Like, um, how do you see it from a comic book owner's perspective? Like, with this being an online thing, could you see it as a blessing or a curse? Well, I am trying my
1: first one actually on the thirtieth of uh, of of May. So, um. I have been a uh, a little skeptical but I thought I I would give it a go cuz I think the only way to give an honest uh, opinion about something is to actually give it a go. So um, I'm giving it a go on the 30th of May, and we'll see see how it goes. So I've got a 30 minute slot that lets me kind of um, pitch my comic, uh, talk about the the different series I've got, talk about my my business, and then and then people can uh, purchase through um, through uh, the online uh, links and everything that we put up during that that virtual convention. So. Um, you know, I've, I've got a, a green screen uh, that I'm going to set up and everything so I can have my products flashing up behind me and everything <laughs> while, while I'm doing this. So, um, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let you guys know what I actually think after I've done it type of thing.
0: So, um, also, there were a couple of details here. So they're saying that the uh, at-home event isn't uh, completely shocking. It does, however, answer a question of whether or not Comic Book International would produce something resembling SDCC Online or resign itself to hosting some trailers. Um, the convention was originally slated uh, to begin at July 23rd. Presumably, the d- digital version will be held on, ar- held on or around that date. Uh, not much details are coming around, but, uh, but it's clear you'll be streaming—you'll uh, be streaming panels and trailers instead of queuing up for hours and booking overpriced hotel rooms. And um, it draws 130,000 pop culture fans to San Diego Convention Center each July. Naturally features no, fee- no free parking, no pets, tons of lines and convention center food. Yeah, it'll be interesting to
1: see uh, what happens uh, with it. So uh, whether there's some announcements from some big companies and, and everything or, you know, um, yeah. And whether it's more entertainment based or, or it goes back to its comic comic book route so it'll be interesting to see what avenue they take yeah it's
0: true um so yeah moving along uh professor what have you been playing
2: i've been playing hyper rogue
0: oh interesting
2: hyper rogue is a, a roguelite which is literally mind-bending <laughs> because it doesn't follow any of the standard rules of cartesian euclidean geometry it's non-euclidean and it hurts this is legitimately the only game that has ever given me a headache because i couldn't figure it out the um so instead of normal um normal roguelite games on a um a standard grid this one is on a um I think the word they use is a hyperborean plane, which hyperbolic plane, that's it. So things can run along beside you and they'll get further away because there's something weird going on with the curves. I'm um,
0: looking at I'm looking at the video and it's like one of those old 90s rap videos. Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.
2: Yeah, it's got a weird fish eye lens effect
0: because that's the most
2: comfortable way to present it. I did try the high Persian rug projection, which um, I'll throw the link into the chat there for you. That one is even harder to wrap your head around.
0: Ow, my head.
2: (laughs) Yeah and it gets even worse because there's like 50 um 50 lands and some of them uh like they're all very imaginative but um one of them is interesting it's called um well a couple of them are called living wherever so living cave living uh, something else and they follow a modified form of conway's game of life so Conway's Game of Life. We spoke about it a few weeks ago when Conway passed away. The basic idea is the world is divided into cells. Cells with enough empty space. Cells that are alive with enough empty space near them reproduce into that space. Cells that are too crowded die off. And so you're not only navigating on a hyperbolic plane; the map around you is changing as you do so. That's
1: a pretty cool concept.
0: Yeah. Although well, the the whole the whole idea of seeing it through the fisheye lens still. To- is off pudding. Yeah,
2: no, it's not not easy to handle. Yeah. But I highly recommend it just because it's so different to anything else. You um as far as I know, there's no other game that uses hyperbolic geometry. And it does have a bunch of other uh other modes. So um there's one called shoot 'em up mode, which makes it more like a standard shoot 'em up game. Um I think it the there's a Steam review I saw for it survival horror on a non-Euclidean plane or something like that. Because it breaks your brain the same sort of way you'd expect from seeing Cthulhu.
0: Uh so what's the biggest flaw you've encountered in that in this game, besides the fish eyed lens and Um
2: Well that is the biggest flaw. The the, <laughs> the projections don't map well, I'm still learning the projection because the um it, It's the hardest part for a new player is going to be learning the projection because it does not map to anything you know instinctively. (laughs) Maybe if you're some sort of master mathematician, you'd already be used to this, but I'm not. (laughs)
0: Oh, man. So uh, how many nerdy beanies would you give this one out of? Five out of five for being so out there that there's nothing <laughs> I can compare it to. Wow. Wow. That's a, wow. Five out of five. Woo-hoo. Oh, man. Um, I've been playing Alan Wake. I love uh, the game.
2: What do you think uh, of it?
0: Uh, early stages so far and pretty trippy how you have to use the torchlight and sh- a and, and, and firearm. Similar to a similar similar to a an old an old game, um, something to do with monsters in Mars, uh, Doom, I think it was called in the day. But yeah, it was a it's a very um, interesting game. Like um, you have to use the torchlight to um blind your enemies and and just try and run, avoid the darkness. But. The story basically is you're a writer and you just come into this um, small town to get away from the hustle and bustle city life and um, you encounter this weird, weird house and the town has some weird secrets. So now you have to, and you have to investigate them. And someone kidnaps your wife. Oh, yeah, that one too. <laughs> oh,
2: So it's basically an episode of The Twilight Zone. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> It draws heavily from things like the Twilight Zone, Twin Peaks, uh, all of that sort of genre of sci-fi horror,
0: and then they also they have the odd Stephen King reference as well. Yeah, it's an old, it's an old game, but yeah, nice uh, graphics. I and mean, I'm yeah I'm still in the early stages, but yeah, it's it's interesting. The biggest flaw for this game would be the um I would say. Sometimes when you're playing the game and you, tr- and you see the uh, mouth, talk, mouth move, it doesn't match with the speed they're talking sometimes.
2: Okay. I used to have that game on my laptop because my laptop was way underpowered for that.
0: And you get that as well.
2: Uh, I had it on my laptop. What would happen for me actually is the audio would play and the video would finish playing about thirty seconds later because <laughs> the video was running at like I don't know how many frames it expected to run at, but it was running at some fraction of that.
0: And sometimes you just went, "What? <laughs> what did I? Did I, What just happened?" Uh, but yeah, it's, a, it, it's an interesting game. So I want to give give more more time into this game. So, but uh, right now I'm giving this game. Um, Three and a half out of five for that. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, I haven't uh,
1: haven't been playing uh, anything much, but I am super excited for the new Assassin's Creed game, Valhalla, coming out. I'm a big Vikings fan. I did absolutely love uh, Odyssey, the Spartan uh, one, and it's probably one of the only games I've clocked in in quite some time. Uh, I just couldn't put that game down. So, yeah, I, I haven't played much lately, but um, that. That uh, Valhalla it looks phenomenal.
0: Have you pre-ordered? Uh, have you pre-ordered the collector's edition?
1: Yes, I have. Um, that was my birthday present from my wife, so um, she oh. pre-ordered it for me, which was very, very nice of her. So,
0: which stat- which version of the statue? The guy or the f- or the woman? Uh, the guy. The guy. Yeah. So uh, apparently, you can choose your own statue for pre-order.
1: Yeah, well I like that idea, like um, yeah, for people that, that want to play as a female character, I love the idea of the last couple where they've been able to uh, choose the um, the the different options in, in play and have like a different storyline uh, type of thing, which is great.
2: Uh, so different storyline for playing as a different gender than is it a sort of a bit like with Resident Evil how there used to be a male character and a female character and they do different things correct yep
0: yeah i heard that both of the uh both endings for the guy and female would be um canon as well so that's going to be it's interesting. Really, really,
1: really cool if you haven't played Odyssey um as i said i'm a massive fan of like the the Spartan culture and all that type of stuff but it's a great 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 game so you know it's a bit of um a meth- mythology plenty of action and then it's got all the stuff that you love about the original assassins creed as well so um
0: so yeah moving along to our shout outs We have, on the 4th of May, 2020, Elon Musk's son was born. So uh, the 32-year-old singer um, has given birth to her first child on Monday. Her boyfriend, Elon Musk, confirmed in a tweet, Musk shares the exciting news on Twitter when a fan asked for an update on the baby after the Tesla CEO had previously shared that Grimes was due on Monday. In true Musk fashion, he also announced that the baby's name was very outside the box, telling fans his son was... XAEA12 Musk,
2: and it's pronounced something like Asher A12. X X Asher A12, yeah,
0: yeah. Or for or or Kyle. Uh, Although this may not be the legal name in California due to its containing, uh, due to it containing that. Are uh, not English alpha English letters. Uh, during a podcast with American comedian Joe Rogan, Musk ex- explained the way to pronounce his son's name. Responding to a question, uh, to a question asked about his son's name on the Joe Rogan Experience, Musk said, First of all, my partner's the one that mostly came up with the name. I mean, it's just X the letter X, and the AE is pronounced Ash." And then A12 is my contribution. He then elaborated: the A12 stood for Archangel 12, the precursor to the SR71, coolest plane ever. Some can people you, are just crazy. <laughs> can you <laughs> imagine? Can you imagine in the near future you like name your name your son like? Okay, guys, this is um. Uh, Plus, minus, uh, sine, cos, tan, uh, and infinity, also known as Tom. Look, I at least can appreciate
2: that Elon's son's name is pronounced the way it's spelled. What I can't abide by is giving your child some random name and then spelling it differently, uh, pronouncing it differently.
0: Oh, At least it's not as bad as one of the other ones we had. Like we had peaches and apple and tiger lily. Hey, 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 hey,
1: hey, hey, hey! My daughter's name is peaches.
0: Be careful. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh my bad! I'm I a Peaches off. No, no.
1: <laughs> better dig your way out of that one, DJ.
0: <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> yeah,
1: my my daughter's name is uh, Peaches Jean, so um, uh, the Jean is after my uh my late grandmother. So yeah.
0: Oh nice. Yeah. So you gonna say sorry, DJ? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, so, sorry, Sean. <laughs> I'm highly kidding. <laughs> but still, like, you know, like, you remember we had remember those crazy names like Tiger Lily, and you're like, Name the kid Tiger Lily at the time. Well,
2: Tiger Lily's out of uh Peter Pan, I
1: thought yes, it was based on the Native American Indian, didn't she? Yeah, something like that.
0: <laughs> oh man, but can you, like, I said, can you imagine his 18th birthday? You'd be like. Son, back in the day, we used to call you this. But because of legal reasons, we had to change to this.
1: Call you this, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Can you imagine trying to enter that into an online form? And it's like, (laughs) you cannot use special characters in this field.
2: Oh, God. Input verification is hard enough already. Yeah.
1: Driver's Uh. license is going to be even more funnier. Sorry, you cannot use numbers in this field. (laughs)
0: Can you imagine being the traffic cop and you're looking at the driver's license and you're like, he just gives you this weird look like, no, you're taking the piss out of it, aren't you? So um on the 9th of May, 2020, Little Richard passes away at 87. Uh, little Way- Richard Wayne Pennyman. Uh, better no better known as Little Richard, was an American singer, songwriter, and musician. An influential figure in popular music and culture for seven decades, he was nicknamed the innovator, the originator, and the architect of rock and roll. Penniman's most celebrated work dates from the mid-1950s, where his charismatic showmanship and dynamic music characterized by frenetic piano playing Pounding, backbeat, and raspy shouted, voice, shouted vocals laid the foundations for rock and roll. His innovative emotive um, vocalizations and up-tempo rhythmic music also played a key role in the formation of other popular music genres, including soul and funk. He influenced many numerous um, singers and musicians across musical genres from rock to hip-hop. His music has shaped rhythm and blues for generations to come. Uh, Trudy Fruity, one of the... Um, signature songs became an instant hit crossing over to the pop charts in both the United States and the United Kingdom with the lyric, a-wop-bop-a-loo-bop, a wop bam boom And a series Definitely of... a
2: masterful of- poet.
0: I know. <laughs> and a series you of... follow of-
2: the author's anguish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine Marilyn Manson singing that lyric? <laughs> Marilyn and Manson. This-
1: yeah, that'd be cool. I'd, I'd actually like to see him uh, sing that.
0: <laughs> or even funny, Alice Cooper.
1: Oh, yeah. Add that into poison. Poison. And
0: a series of follow-up records helped establish the genre of uh, multitude, uh, multitude of other musicians. He was honored by many musicians. He was inter- inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as part of its first group of inductees in 1986. Uh, he died from bone cancer in. Tullahoma, Tennessee. Oh man, like that 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 hair, I whenever I look at that hair, it doesn't looks weird. What do but, you um, think? It's it's, great hair. <laughs>
2: he was jealous because you couldn't grow hair like that.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> oh here's a funny thing with the uh a wap baba loop I always think of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air episode where um Uncle Phil, when Carlton says to Uncle Phil um he needs to have a head of hair, so he introduces like two pays to him. And... Oh, it's such a funny episode to watch. If you if you ever get the chance to to, sit, to watch Fresh Prince of Bel Air, watch that episode and you'll have a good laugh. On the eleventh uh, of May, twenty twenty, Jerry Stiller passed away at um ninety two. Um, so he was the famous comedian and actor, one half of the husband wife comedy St- um, Stiller and Mirror. Um, he was also an actor in Seinfeld and the father of Hollywood star Ben Stiller. And um, during his time as um, in Seinfeld, he played as Fred Costanza, the father of Jason Alexander's um, George Costanza, a hot-tempered eccentric who once attempted to contain his rage at his wife Estelle and son George by repeating, repeating chanting, um, Serenity now! On another episode, Frank, even disgruntled with a status quo, invented his own holiday, Festivus, or as he said, the rest of us. Uh, among the holiday made-up um, traditions, physical feats of strength and airing of grievances And this role earned him an Emmy nomination. The year Seinfeld went off, he began his role as um, Arthur Spooner in The King of Queens, another role that garnished him widespread acclaim. Um, He was the father of Ben Stiller, as I earlier explained, and he appeared in movies with him, such as Zoolander, Heavyweight, Hot Pursuit, The Heartbreak Kid, and Zoolander 2. He um, he has also done voice work in movies such as The Lion King 1.5 and Planes, and Rescue, and in his later career, he would become known for playing grumpy and eccentric characters who were nevertheless beloved. Uh, He died from natural causes in New York City, New York, and his son tweeted, I'm sad to say that my father, Jerry Stella, has passed away from natural causes. He was a great dad and grandfather, and the most dedicated husband to Anne for about 62 years. He will be greatly missed. Love you, Dad. Yeah, I was. I, I was,
1: oh. was that the 11th of uh, of May? Yeah. Oh, man, you missed out on the most important thing on the 10th of May. What, what, what was that? My birthday.
0: Ah! Oh. You never give me a
1: shout out. You just skipped straight over me. I'm like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> H-
0: happy birthday, Sean! <laughs> no problem.
1: Thank you. Yeah, now that that was really disappointing. because I um I loved him in Kings of Queens. That's the the main role that that I knew him out of. And um yeah, when I saw that, I was like, oh man! Like you know, he was he made that show like ten times funnier type of thing. You know, with his only cameo roles in each. Each episode type of thing, so
0: yeah. I, I actually saw him I was not only in Kings of Queens, I saw like a couple of episodes of um, Seinfeld, and it was just like you know he's that same cantankerous old man. Oh, but man, feels like feels like eternity now. I'm I'm, I'm gonna watch all the Seinfeld episodes now. Uh, also on the 11th of May t- uh, 2020, uh, 15th anniversary of World of Warcraft's Leroy Jenkins video. You guys ever familiar with um, World of Warcraft? Yes. Yep. <laughs> Like unless
2: you're some starving Ethiopian kid, you've heard of World of Warcraft. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so on the May on May 11, 2004, a video was uploaded to uh, the website War uh, Warcraft Movies that would have been a. Me- would have a major impact on World of Warcraft and the culture surrounding the game. In the game, a team of players crafts an intricate plan, but one shouts, Leroy Jenkins! before charging into battle unprepared, getting the, the entire party killed as they were attempted to save him. Uh, the video went viral and has become the, one of the biggest memes in the history of World of Warcraft and the internet in general. Uh, since then, Leroy Jenkins has been referenced on, parody, on Jeopardy, The Daily Show, and even on Family Guy. Uh, for many World of Warcraft fans, it holds a special place in their hearts. For years, World of Warcraft fans debated whether or not the video showed a real planning session that went awry or a staged event, and the video creators uh, intentionally answered ambiguously for about, uh, about it for years. And well, 27- I don't
2: see how anyone could think it was not staged like i'm sure it's something that happened once in real life once or twice in real life but I'm pretty sure the original video was staged because yeah. he says our chance of success is 3366 with repeating or whatever.
0: <laughs> Not many, but yet, um, one of the creators, Ben Alf- Alfroni Vin- um Vincent released a video showing an initial failed attempt, proving that the Leroy Jacobs video staged. was actually staged. A failed attempt. How do you fail harder than that? <laughs> <laughs> I think the, I think it must be the, um, how many people were left but how many people that survived in the end and coming out of the, coming out of the, the zone going, yeah. We should have got... Man, that was bad. <laughs> so yeah, uh, while the video itself was staged, no one had, no one involved could have predicted that the major impact it could have on the world of Warcraft. Fandom often have a strange impact on popular culture that had never been truer that in, than in its internet era. The Leroy Jenkins video is not only the t- only time that a company has leaned into an internet meme, but it's certainly one of the earliest examples. When Schultz, Vincent, and the rest of the friends created this video, they had no idea it would catch on its catch on in the way it did. Others have tried to replicate the success of Leroy Jenkins, but the video certainly stands as a unique moment in popular culture. Uh, so um onto our remembrances on the 12th of May Well the other thing
2: is so you can't yep. replicate Leroy Jenkins because nobody's making two minute YouTube videos for fun anymore. They're all yeah. being made to make a billion dollars, so they're all ten minutes or one second long.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a dying. Like it's funny though. Like YouTube, it's people try to catch onto the YouTube train. Like, uh, like people try to copy like one one formula, and they go, "Oh, this formula can win me money. Let me try this," and they fail miserably. So uh, on our remembrances, twelfth of May, eight, um, eight, eight hundred and five, um, Aether Ethelhard. Uh, he was the Bishop of Winchester, then an Archbishop of Canterbury in uh, medieval England. Ethelhard is deposed by Etherbert II when he sees the Kingdom of Kent from American overlordship. This is America, not America, by the way. Uh, Ethelhard flees to the court uh, to the court for his America supporters and refuses to venture back to Canterbury even though it's seems safe. In 803, he returns to England from Rome and convenes the Ch- the Council of Clovershaw, which resembles the prime importance of Canterbury and with papal authority, asserts the freedom of the church from secular authority. He died in Canterbury. He was later revered as a saint with the feast day of 12th of May. Hmm. On the 12th of May, 1856, Jacques-Philippe Marie Binet, um, French mathematician, physicist and astronomer, he made significant contributions to number theory and the mathematical foundations of matrix algebra, which would later lead to important contributions by Cayley and others. In his memoir on the theory of the conjugate axis and of the moment of inertia of bodies, he enumerated the principle now known as Binet's theorem. He is also recognized as the first to describe the rule of multiplying matrices in 1812. Uh, Binet's formula expressing Fibonacci numbers in closed forms in, is named in his honor, although the same result was known as Abraham de Mo- Moira v. a century later. So yeah, the unique sol- solution is impossible in case of circular motion about the center of force. That's most of his um, equation was all about. Uh, he died at the age of 70 in Paris. On the uh, 12th of May, 1994, Eric Erikson. So uh, Eric Homberger Erikson was a German-American developmental psychologist and psychoanalyst known for his theory on psychological development of human beings. He may be famous for coining the phrase identity crisis. Uh, despite lacking a bachelor's degree, Erikson served as a professor at prominent institutions including Harvard, University of California, Berkeley, and Yale. A review of the psychology survey published in 2002 ranked Erickson as 12th most cited psychologist of the 20th century. The development of identity seemed to be one of Erickson's greatest concerns in his own life, as well as being central to his theoretical work. As an older adult, he wrote about his adolescent identity confusion in his European days. Uh, My identity confusion, he wrote, um, was at the times on the border being neurosis and adolescent psychosis. Uh, Erickson is also credited as being one of the originators of ego psychology, which stressed the role of ego as being more than a servant of the ID, or maybe servant of the mind. Sorry. Ah, uh, oh. that's it. Id. Ah, okay. Yeah.
2: The Thank ego, you. the superego, and the id are sort of three fundamental parts of a, a person's psyche.
0: Um, although Erickson accepted uh, Freud's theory, he did not focus on parent-child relationship and gave more t- um, importance to the role of ego, particularly the person's progression as self. According to Erickson, the environment in which a child lived was crucial to providing growth, adjustment, a source of self-awareness, and identity. You don't say. (laughs) (laughs) You got something there, Professor? Well,
2: I mean, it feels kind of obvious that a child's environment influences who they become. Like, I'm no psychologist, but I could have told you that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine you, you, Professor, getting a DeLorean with a flux capacitor going back in time and telling him, no shit, Sherlock. (laughs)
2: I'm tempted. <laughs> in the, in between me and that is a flux capacitor.
1: I've got the DeLorean, mate. Series. <laughs> My uncle's got one. Oh, oh, very nice. Very lucky. Very so, nice. Yeah. But we don't have the flux capacitor, so you get to that. I'll provide the DeLorean. <laughs> uh, so you, you die that- oh, halfway there, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: He died at the age of 91 in Harwick, Massachusetts. Um, so for our famous birthdays on the 12th of May, 1895, uh, William um, an American scientist, chemist, and Nobel laureate recognized in 1949 for his studies in properties of matter at temperatures close to absolute zero. He spends virtually all of his um, educational and professional career at the University of California, Berkeley. He became interested in the third law of thermodynamics as a field of research during his experimental research uh, for his PhD research under Professor George Ernest Gibson comparing the relative entropies of glycerine cr- crystals and glass. He principal... His, the principal objective of his um, researches was to d- demonstrate that through ranges of appropriate tests that the third law of thermodynamics is a basic natural law. In 1926 he proposed a method for observing temperatures considerably below 1 Kelvin, so that's minus 457.87. Dot Fahrenheit, degrees Fahrenheit sorry, or minus 272.15 degrees Celsius. He uh, developed a magnetic refrigeration device of his own design in order to achieve the outcome, getting closer to absolute zero than many scientists have thought possible. This trailblazing work, apart from proving one of the fundamental laws of nature, led to stronger steel, better gasoline, and more efficient processes in in a range of industries. He was born in Niagara Falls, Ontario. Uh, 12th of May, 1918, Julius Rosenberg, an uh, American citizen who... who was convicted of spying on behalf of the Soviet Union. Um, He and his wife, Ethel, were accused of providing top-secret information about radar, sonar, jet propulsion engines, and valuable nuclear weapons design. At the time, the United States was the only country in the world with nuclear weapons. Uh, Julius Rosenberg joined the Army Signal Corps Engineering Laboratories at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, in 1940, where he worked as an engineer and uh, he was fired uh, because of his membership in the Communist Party. Uh, important research on electronics, communications, radar, and guided missiles control was under- was undertaken at Fort Monmouth during World War II. In February 1944, Rosenberg succeeded in recruiting a second source of, of Manhattan Project information, engineer Russell McNutt, who worked on designs for the plants at Oak Ridge Nat- National Laboratory, and for his success, he received 1000 Um, Rosenberg received a $100 bonus, and he provided secrets about the process for manufacturing weapons-grade uranium. And while the US and, and Soviet Russia were allies during World War II, the Americans didn't want to share the information or seek assistance from the Soviet Union during the Manhattan Project. And the West was shocked by the speed of which the Soviets were able to stage their first nuclear test. Joe won on August 29 1949. Uh, he was born in Manhattan, New York City, New York. Um, on the 12th of May, 1970, Brooke, uh, Bruce Box Leitner, uh, Bruce William Boxleitner, uh, American actor and science fiction and suspense writer. He's um, known for his leading roles in the television series, such as How the West Was Won and Babylon 5 as John Sheridan in seasons 2 to 5, 1994 to 1998. He is also known for his new roles as the characters Alan Bradley and Tron in the 1982 Walt Disney Pictures film Tron, a role which he reprised in the 2003 video game Tron 2.0, the 2006 Square Enix slash Disney crossover game Kingdom Hearts 2, and the 2010 film sequel Tron Legacy and the animated series Tron Uprising. In uh, a July 2015, uh, BoxLeader said that he's done with the franchise and it's been too up and up and down for me. I'd rather not just keep going. I don't want to repeat my career anymore. Uh, he also starred in several films within the Babylon 5 universe, including Babylon 5, In the Beginning, Babylon 5, Third uh, Space, Babylon 5, A Call to Arms, and the Directed DVD, um, Babylon 5, The Lost Tales. He was, bo- he was born in... Elgin, Illinois. You guys ever saw um, Babylon 5?
1: No, I never watched it. I
2: haven't yet, but I've noticed it was on uh, YouTube. Nice. nice. Uh, yeah. I think it was. That, actually, that might have been Blake 7. There's too many sci-fi series that have a B word and then a number.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, when was uh, i bet you that was a 90s thing back in the day they're a bit older than the 90s aren't they babylon five yeah babylon and blake seven blake seven i think that was an um <coughs> second blake seven that's uh 1978 to 1981 or oh, blake's seven
2: okay yeah i was thinking of blake seven because that's uh, a bbc show
0: yeah And Babylon 5, I think that was a, yeah, 1990s thing.
2: Yeah, Babylon 5 is 94 to 98. Yeah. It was made by the Yanks. (laughs)
0: Uh, I will say they are kind of getting getting much better at it, though, with the Orville. Yeah, I've heard Um, good things about that. mm -hmm. So uh, on our events of interest, on the 12th of May 1926, the Italian-built airship Norge uh, became the first vessel to fly over the North Pole. Uh, Umberto Noble, the airship's designer and pilot, explained the Nord's trip was to observe the uncharted sea between the pole... And Alaska, which uh, some thought the land was at the time, he believed Robert Edwin Perry. Um, he believed Ed- Robert Edwin Perry had already reached the pole on 12th of May. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, so we uh, mentioned
2: Perry or Perry a while back, didn't we? He uh, thought he'd made the pole, but then someone redid the calculations and realised he was off.
1: Oh uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> Oh, Who? you okay there, Sean?
1: Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. I was like, don't, how, how would you be? Uh, be that that you would like claim to fame is, been to the North Pole and then you're off."
0: <laughs> oh, the other day we had like we had like a mathematic we, we had um we had a mathematician. He predicted when the universe was made, and he was off by a couple of billion years. <laughs> So um, on the 12th of May at, um, at 1 o'clock, um, one twenty-five GMT, uh, they reached the North Pole, at which the, at which point the Norwegian, American, and Italian flags were dropped on the airship onto the ice. Uh, Amundsen, the expedition leader and navigator, and polar explorer Oscar was. Westing, who, who served as helmsman, were thereby the first to reach both poles. Relations between Armadensen and Nobel, were, um, which had been strained in the freezing, cramped and noisy condition, uh, became even worse when Armadensen saw that the Italian I just flag... Out,
2: DJ? Because yeah. you're killing me here. Yep. It's a munson.
0: <laughs> ah, thank you. A munson. Thank you. Uh, saw so the Italian flag dropped was larger than either of the others. <laughs> oh... Uh, Amdensen, um, laid a record with scorn that under Noble, the airship had become DJ, a circus.
2: DJ, I just corrected you and you're still doing it.
0: I know. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I should make a gif about it. <laughs> uh, the airship has become a circus wagon in the sky. This is this was now unknown territory. Amdensen. Uh, sat at the front of the cabin to look for any land. Unfortunately, they came into thick fog at 8.30 a.m., which made it impossible to see on either um, ice or land. The fog st- uh, stuck to the airship as a layer of ice and lumps on lumps of ice were thrown from the propellers and into the balloon skin, with the resulting danger of puncture. Running repairs were made as far as possible from the keel space. Oh man! Can you imagine like being in being in that environment? Not really. No. Uh,
2: <laughs> I can't imagine it's very comfortable sitting there watching ice threaten to pop your balloon. <laughs>
0: On the 12th of May 1941, Conrad Zeus um, presented the Z3, the world's first working pro- um, programmable fully automatic computer in Berlin. So he presented the ZT built-ins workshop to the public. It was a binary 22-bit floating point calendar um, not calendar calculator featuring programmability with loops but without um, conditional jumps, with memory and a calculation unit based on telephone relays. The uh, telephone relays used as machines were largely collected from discarded stock. Uh, despite the absence of conditional jumps the Z3 was a Turing um, complete computer. However, Turing com- completeness was never considered by Zeus um, and only demonstrated in 1998. The Z3 the fully f- the Z3, the fully functional electromechanical computer was partially financed by a German government supported um, DVL, which wanted the, their extensive calculations automated. The Z3 um, revolutionized computing. It was used to help calculate aerodynamics in aircraft design, which the UK's Center for Computer History said says helped the German aircraft research design in its analysis. Uh, we're used to today's computers reading programs from solid-state storage, but the Z3 reads its programs off-punched film. I bet you that computer must have cost a lot of money back then. Um, 12th of May 2015, massive um, Nepal earthquake killed 218 people and injured more than 3,500 people. So this earthquake occurred in Nepal on the 12th of May 2015 uh, with the magnitude of 7... 7.3, 7.3, and the epicenter was on the border of Dalaka and Sindhupal-Chao, uh, two districts of Nepal, and this earthquake occurred on the same fault as the larger, seven point, larger magnitude 7.8 um, earthquake on the 25th of April, but further east than the original quake, and the tremors were felt 2,400 kilometers away from the epicenter in Chennai. Uh, minutes later, another 6.3 magnitude earthquake hits Nepal with the epicenter in the Ramchap, um, east, east of Kathmandu. Uh, according to geophysicist um, Amy Vaughan, the 12th of May quake is likely a sign that more aftershocks are on the way, generally in the days of weeks um, and months, tapers off, she said. But this is uh, going to temporarily inc- increase, as in the aftershocks. Oh, that, that was five years ago. My God, this whole that whole event. And uh, finally, on the twelfth of May, twenty seventeen, the WannaCry ransomware attack impacts over four hundred thousand computers worldwide, targeting computers of the United Kingdom's National Health Services and Telefonica computers. Uh, so, the Wanna WannaCry ransomware was a May May twenty seventeen worldwide cyber attack by the WannaCry ransomware crypto worm, which Targeted computers running the Mac- Microsoft Windows operating system by encrypting data and demanding ransom payments in the Bitcoin crypt- cryptocurrency. It propagated to Eternal Blue, an exploit developed by the United States National Agency for older Windows systems.
2: Yeah, you know the uh, the NSA, which likes to find out ways to hack computers, then not tell anyone about them. <laughs> incidents like this happen. Oh, man. And the NSA gets hacked and has all of their exploits dumped.
0: <laughs> so the attack was estimated to affect more than 20- 200,000 computers across 150 countries, with total damages ranging from hundreds of millions to billions of dollars. Uh, security experts believe from preliminary evaluation of the worm that the attack originated from North Korea or agencies working for the country. Um, the ransomware campaign was unprecedented in scale, according to Europol, which estimated around 200,000 computers, which were fair infa- Okay, done. Sorry. According to Kaspersky Labs, the four most um, affected countries were Russia, Ukraine, India, and Taiwan. One of the largest agencies struck by the attack was the National Health Service's Hospital. Health service hospitals in England and Scotland, and up to 70,000 devices, including computers, MRI scanners, blood storage, refrigerators, and theater equipment, may have been affected.
2: Yeah, it was nasty. And the Eternal Blue exploit was also the core of the Petya and Not Petya attacks a year or so later, which were um, really nasty attacks by Russian hackers. Eh.
0: Uh... Mm. So on the 12th of May, some NHS services had to turn away non-critical emergencies and some ambulances were diverted. According to cyber risk modelling firm Seance, uh, economic losses from the cyber attack could reach up to four billion US dollars, with other groups estimating the losses could be in the hundreds of millions. Ah, oh, man. Can you imagine your computer being hit by one of those things? Fortunately, it
2: hasn't happened to any computer that I manage yet. <laughs> yeah, touch wood, touch wood about yeah. that. <laughs> oh, yeah. There we go. I'll just speed up my desk until I feel like I've touched enough wood. <laughs>
0: uh, so uh, anything else we need to add in before we uh, call it? Uh,
2: yes, yeah. sure. Where can we um, find the details for your kickstarters
1: yeah perfect so um, at the moment we've got Terra Olympus um, that's got two days to go on um, Kickstarter so that is T-E-R-R-A-L-Y-M-P-U-S if you search uh, that on um, Kickstarter that'll come up and our other one that still has uh, 27 days to go is uh, XCT Fractured World which is my number one selling series, um, and again, that's XCT uh, Fractured Worlds. And if you search that on Kickstarter, uh, you can check that out. So it's a pretty cool. But they're both graphic novels, um, very different stories, and um, yeah, it's uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of fun for all ages. So
0: yeah, um, your um, Kickstarter projects will be on our show notes. So, um, oh, thank you. Yep. Um, uh, our episodes will be, um, you can find our episodes on that's not canon, um, website. We, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, all, all of our details will be on our, on our um, show notes. Uh, you can also check out the other, um, that's not canon web um, podcasts, such as the new ones. What's the newest one, professor, you've heard? Um, it's probably the. Um... Etymology one. Oh that's a funny that's a good one. That I'm is a, a complete
2: pain in the arse to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I I feel you. I, I feel you, Professor. Was it the assemble? It's the assemblage of grandiose and bombastic grandiloquence.
2: Yes, that's it. <laughs> oh man! And the other one who um is the mist home museum of Mi- mystery, morbidity, and mortality.
0: Yeah, that's a uh, that's another interesting one. Uh, but uh, yeah. So that's all we have for this week. Uh, thank you, Sean, for being our guest for this week. Thanks for having me. And uh. See you next week.
2: Yes, uh, look after yourselves, stay safe. We'll see you next time. All right.